0: You're listening to the Cultural Curriculum Chat, the podcast that specializes in multicultural education and classroom strategies. I'm your host, Jebe Edmonds. Let's get started. Hello everyone. My name is Jebe Edmonds, and welcome to the Cultural Curriculum Chat. I am an educator and CEO of my own cultural consulting business. And my passion is to provide multicultural educational resources for individuals like yourselves in this space that we are in right now. Why I wanted to share with you is just to kind of have you walk into my shoes just for a little bit, to have some more cultural understanding of what it's like to be a Black, Indigenous, person of color educator in the United States, but specifically In northern Minnesota. I had 18 years' experience working in a public school district in northern Minnesota. Eight years I was the African American cultural specialist. And so, what that meant was I was in charge of providing African and African American cultural educational lessons for all of the schools in my school district for grades K through 12. So for example, I would make lots of lessons on folktales and stories that I heard from my family growing up and as well as exploring other folktales throughout the continent of Africa. I would make lots of hands-on activities that the students could use. They would come into our cultural center which was based in an elementary school. And then the other half of my job, I also would travel to all of the schools in my district and um, do the same or similar lessons. It depended on the themes that I had throughout the year. There were things that were geography-based lessons. There were things on historical lessons. There were even lessons that I did that were dances and games, just to have that familiarity that we are the same, but we're also different. Pivot that to having 10 years under my belt as a classroom teacher. I taught first grade and fifth grade, five years in first, five years in fifth. And with that, I was blessed to teach both of my sons in fifth grade in social science and in reading. So education has been a fabric of my being since I can remember. Both of my parents are educators. They were both very well educated um, in our home country of Liberia, as well as in the United States. They went in and did more post-baccalaureate studies. My mom was a first grade teacher for over 30 years. She retired a couple years ago. And my father, who passed away two and a half years ago, ended his career as a professor at his alma mater in Liberia. So, growing up, I have been immersed with educators. When you think about kids in the summer, I can't stand that myth of teachers having summers off or never off in the summer. That's a very bad myth. But as a child of parents that were teachers, we were always busy in the summer. It was lots of trips to the library, which gave me my love of reading and lots of discussions and understandings of how to better yourself through reading. I'm very thankful that my parents gave me that foundation and that root of being a lifelong learner. Seeing it through their eyes and stealing it on me and my sisters gave me this trajectory of becoming an educator. Even though my way of becoming an educator wasn't linear, I my undergrad in communication. So for me, wanting to be a broadcaster was my first love, but it also turned into that calling of being an educator by watching my parents as well as being in that African-American cultural center and working with kids and understanding that, yeah, I want to share my knowledge of what I've learned from my parents and my relatives and the knowledge of what I've read in books and try to bring that to life and translate it to children and to older students. To me, that was something I really wanted to instill through this pandemic. But also, there's been a lot of research, and we'll dive in more this year, of as to why teachers like myself have left the profession, because there's a lot of societal things that have been churning and going, but there have been that for decades before. I really am curious as to why a lot of BIPOC educators are leaving, myself included. From the National Center for Educational Statistics, we have in Minnesota about 62,000 public school teachers. 4% are teachers of color. And only 1.7% are black teachers. Now, the makeup of Minnesota students is 34% students of color. So when you hear that saying, representation matters, it is, and, and it speaks volumes as to why we are not hiring more teachers of color. There's a lot of implicit bias stories inside and outside of the classroom. A lot of us, when I've done my research with my clients, is to think about our own implicit bias. Implicit bias is your own types and experiences that you have or have not received from different groups of people, cultural groups. It could be gender. It could be sexual orientation. It could be even the skin tone of people or religion. There's biases that we all have, and these are the things that we have been immersed with our parents, our family members, our. our, it could be even your peers. But my biggest thing I would love to share with you all today is to please unpack your own implicit bias, understand where that is coming from, check and correct your own implicit biases. And being an educator, especially in northern Minnesota, When you have your own implicit bias and you project that in a statement or a question, that turns into a microaggression towards a person of color. So when you have statements like, I have a blah, 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 by encountering somebody of that particular cultural group, that can turn into a microaggression. And as a teacher, I cannot tell you how many microaggressions I had faced in the classroom, how many microaggressions I had faced in my community as well. So thinking about that and trying to do your day-to-day standards and objectives and your lesson plans and, you know, your classroom management skills of how your day is going to look like, then pile that on top with biases that you encounter with people you walk in the hallways with that starts to add up and it starts to pile in. And for a lot of us, it gets to be that point where the joy of teaching is negated by the fact that you are being bombarded by all of these biases. Phrases to me, like I could say as examples of these microaggressions would be, I love your beautiful black skin. Oh, just makes my skin crawl just thinking about it. What you think is a compliment is a microaggression. OMG, we got the black teacher this year. Parents said that to me at open house. Oh, don't be so sensitive, Jeb. People spell my name wrong all the time. I didn't expect you to be my child's teacher. Are you sure you're qualified to be a teacher? How did you get hired? Or, how did you get into that particular school? You know, I've worked in this district longer than you. Oh, it's okay if he called you the N-word. He's been through lots of trauma. Uh, Why can't I touch your hair? You know, there is so many more microaggressions. I mean, I could even have a whole episode of that, but you'd be really bored really quickly. And you might be asking me, Jeb, why did you stay for so long? But to me, it was a choice that I had to deal with, and I'm still trying to think about it. But I have to tell you that what I did wasn't for the microaggressions, you know. That was what we would say is more of a, it came with the job, it came with the territory. You know, when you are the only person in your district that is a black woman who is teaching You're going to get it. You're going to get lots of questions. You're going to get lots of microaggressions. You're going to get a lot of, you know, blatant racial things. And so these are the things I want you to think about as a white colleague, as a colleague of color, to really unpack what you are facing or what your colleague of color might be going through. This could be something that you need to use some empathy. This is something that you need to really step up and say something when you are in these meetings. Say something when you hear a colleague saying something offensive and uh, oppressive, when you are among your peers and you've seen that harm has been done. I can't tell you how frustrating it was for me when I did Talk to colleagues and ask them to please say something, and they didn't. And that to me is what brought me to this place of having my own consulting business and consulting with other school districts in my state to share my story and to share with you all today of how you need to check and correct your own implicit biases. You know, It takes more than just reading books that I can suggest. You have to do the work. You have to journal. You have to talk it out with yourself and your other peers to say, you know what? Maybe we shouldn't be dependent on Jebe when it comes to multicultural resources in our own classroom. Yes, she's got things and she's got a wealth of knowledge, But maybe we could support her by purchasing her lesson plan on her shop, or maybe we could also step out of our own comfort level and find other community members that are willing to come into our classroom and read books and share their stories with our students. Just going that extra mile takes the burden out of people like myself. Because all too often, we Black educators are charged in this underlying role of, well, you're here, it's Black History Month, what resources do you have for us? Don't be surprised if we look at you blankly and go, I also teach all the other subjects as well. Why don't you ask me What new math concept or science strategy or reading fluency practice that I've used in my classroom that have catapulted my students' success? Why all of a sudden is my value and my worth only valued during the month of February? I always joke but also give a little shade by sharing, (laughs) I'm still black in March, right? So you need to get comfortable with being uncomfortable. And like I said, it is so frustrating when as a black educator, how you walk into those doors, having your guard up. You know, I talk about this with my clients about this emotional tax that people of color go through where so much we take in and we absorb and trying to sift through all of that is very emotionally taxing, and then being charged to do your job, being charged to make those connections with your students, put on that happy face, Jeb, make it look like you are energized and ready to go, but inside you are heartbroken. Inside you are wondering, how is my next lesson going to impact my students? But then on the flip of the coin, how do I respond to that same student's parent who questioned what I wrote about their child's report card, right? It's more than just asking about, oh, the standard that the child made or didn't make. In my shoes, it's more than just that. I could give a student a grade, no problem, just like my white colleagues do. And just like my white colleagues, I have lots of evidence to back up why that child got that grade. And I've got tons of articles and things that that child wrote, tons of things to prove that child that they earned that particular grade. But being a black teacher, especially in this area, that question you get, that microaggressive response you get from that parent. That is the emotional tax that I had to quickly navigate through, answer or not answer, take some time to process how am I going to answer, hope that my supervisor had my back, or if my supervisor at the time did not, what do I need to do for option C, D, E, and F? You know, so that's my advice is thinking about having those uncomfortable conversations. Being that advocate for your BIPOC educator friend is so important. So what can white teacher colleagues and supervisors do to support their BIPOC colleagues? I've got some advice for you. First and foremost, don't single me out. You know, when we're at these meetings, you don't go up and say in front of everybody, oh, I just love your beautiful black skin. Don't single me out. If you want to compliment me, compliment something I did with my students. Compliment, you know, my fly earrings, because I have an awesome earring collection. Compliment me on that. I am proud to be black and beautiful. But singling my blackness out in that way tokenizes me. And I am not your token. Don't question your sensitivity. Just be sensitive. Think about that. If your colleague like me is in a meeting of that stature and that was harmed towards your colleague, standing up and saying, that's not all right, calling out that supervisor, that I think spreads way more volume than if it were me. If I stood up and said something, then everybody's got their implicit biases going off and they're looking at me like, ooh, there's Jebe, ooh, she's that stereotypical angry black woman. But the power is in numbers. But speaking up is so much more important. Don't wait for ethnic holidays to bring up subject matter. In my classroom, we did lots of multicultural activities throughout the whole school year. We didn't wait for a particular cultural group month in order to showcase that group of people. And even if you don't have a diverse group of people, you might not know this, but we are very diverse even within our cultural groups. So assuming that you don't have a diverse group of students, is not conducive to what diverse grouping that you already have. And like I said before, don't expect BIPOC staff to train or give your school resources without the proper compensation. I can't tell you how many times people wanted to get my advice or, you know, I just want to, you know, pick your brain on something. Ooh, ooh. I was very proud of the work that I did in my school district. It was a lot of fun. <laughs> Taught hundreds of students. And it's really nice to see them in the community now as grown adults. I can't even believe it. I even taught some students children. To me, that legacy that I have of sharing my wealth of knowledge of cultural practices with my students, I know it will reverberate for years to come. It was so fun to share that and experience working with students, especially with my own two children. Having them see their mom as a teacher in their own school was amazing. And it's something I will never forget. I enjoyed working with a lot of my colleagues and supervisors. I learned a lot from them and I did have a lot of support. I feel like being in this work the last 18 years helped create Jebek Cultural Consulting, my business, my third baby, as I see it. And for that being said, I am thankful. I am thankful for all. Of those moments, I am thankful for all of those microaggressions. I am thankful for those doubtful parents that question me. I am thankful for working in their schools and teaching their children how to African dance and celebrating their birthdays in a way, and turning away cupcakes at the door. I am so thankful of all of those experiences. Good, bad, and the ugly to be here, standing here for you to share with you those experiences in the cultural curriculum chat. In order to walk in other people's shoes, you need to listen to their stories. And I hope my story is powerful for you. I'm not giving up. I am proud to be in this area of my life, I am proud to be in the region where I live. It's a great place to raise a family. But what I'm doing now is I'm moving forward. I am so excited to be an adjunct professor at our local college, the College of St. Scholastica, this fall. And I'm also glad to close that chapter of my life leaving the classroom and leaving that district because I feel my impact will grow greater in this capacity. So thank you so much for listening. I have a free, yes, a free webinar called Four Ways of Increasing Cultural Understanding. And I want you to download it. It's season two, episode nine. And that is Four Ways of Increasing Cultural Competency. Give it a listen and enjoy. Well, that's all I have for you today, folks. Thanks for listening so very much, and I'll see you next time. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to Cultural Curriculum Chat with Jebba Edmonds. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast. We will be here same time, same place next week. Take care. Bye-bye.